You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. I don't know yet. My name is Brenna Rubio, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church of Long Beach. For those of you who are around a lot and you're like, where is she preaching from? Because it's like we get used to each other's backgrounds on Zoom, right? Yes, I am in a different place. I'm actually in Texas. It's like my first big trip to see family in a year and a half. So kind of incredible uh, to get to do that. But I'm also glad I'm kind of sneaking it in, right? Because we're going to start doing hybrid next week. Next week, we're going to be in person and on Zoom. So in our last fully Zoom Sunday. I snuck out of town, but so grateful I still get to be with you guys this morning. So we are sort of about to wrap up a sermon series that we have been calling Lost and Found. And we've really just been exploring some of the tensions in our faith. I think healthy tensions, creative tensions, not just to say lost is bad, found is better, but lost and found in so many areas of our faith. How is it sort of a both and? So I actually was not prepping for this sermon uh, and I was doing something else for the church. You know, I was researching books because as we prepare to go back in person next week, uh, our kids team had had the idea to like, hey, let's put together a book bin for our kids so that when they come, if they want to, they can just grab out a great book. And I said, you know, I thought, awesome. And then I thought, you know, some of the books that we have stashed away back at Lafayette Elementary School in our storage closet, um, many of them who might have just been like passed down as, you know, somebody's grandmother was cleaning out their garage, something like that, you know, and, and I haven't looked at the books in a while. But as I started to think about it, I was like, Ooh, I wonder how many of those are like white Jesus books. You know, there was just a little bit of just like, ah, I don't know what we have back there, um, you know, that's been been stashed away over the years. And maybe I want to go look for something new. So I did some poking around online because I'm like, I'm going to put together like an Amazon wish list, uh, which Kevin is actually going to drop in the chat just in case you're interested, even for your own family, if you're parents, right? Because I'm a researcher. So I went around, I was like, okay, let's, let's see if I can find some books that would really just show like, the God that we worship here at City Church, books that really just lift up Jesus, that embrace full diversity and love and justice. And so I found all these great books, right? And then there was this one title that popped up that I went, ooh, that's interesting. Am I allowed to put this book on the list? Now, some of you may be going, Brenna, what are you talking about? Are you allowed to put a book? on the list. I mean, this is City Church of Long Beach, but you guys have to remember, I'm an Enneagram type one. I don't follow the rules all the time, but I like to break them really intentionally, right? Like when I break them, I want it to be for like a purpose. And this title that just grabbed me, you know, I start looking at all the sources. I'm like, no, really good people are recommending this, but I wasn't allowed to read a book like this when I was younger. This is not my experience. So what I did is I ordered the book for myself, right? Because I'm like, I'm going to test it out because I don't want people getting mad at me that I stuck this book in the book bin. And it was awesome. And so I actually want to show you a little bit of it to start us out this morning. And if some of you too were raised with some of the rules that I was raised with in the church, in your faith, and it makes you a little uncomfortable, maybe you have some issues with the rules just like I do, I just want to say it's okay. Let's breathe a little. Let's explore. Let's see if God might have something for us today. So this book is called When God Was a Little Girl. And you can find it on our book list. It's a story about God, creation, and what it means to be human. And it all starts 
when a little girl and her dad are taking a car trip together. She says, tell me a story, daddy. He says, what about? She gets a mischievous look on her face and says, well, tell me a story about when God was a little girl. And dad, he's up to the challenge. And so he says, well, when God was a little girl, she liked art projects, just like you. Oh, little girl loved that. And in the beginning, there was only God and nothing else was made yet. Daddy, wait, was God lonely? No. When you're lonely, do you smile and giggle? God was giggling. And then eventually, God began to sing. She started humming a tune so it would be just right when she sang the first word. And as she sang each word, it was like she dipped her brush in paint. And the first word she sang softly, but very clearly, was love. And love looked like darkness. I'm not gonna read the whole book to you right now, but it's creative. It's imaginative. All these pictures, right, of God as a little girl. Little girls, different colors, different backgrounds. This invitation to think about God a little bit differently. And so I wonder, why did that trigger such a response for me? Am I allowed to put a book in the bin that says when God was a little girl? Are we allowed to be playful in our imagination of God? Are we allowed to picture God as something beyond a white man up in the sky, maybe with a beard? Are we allowed to think beyond white Jesus? Yeah, and I think we are, and I'm glad we get to do it today. So good, Senator Rubio, thank you. So today, uh, you know, as we wrap up this series, Lost and Found, um, some of us have been losing some of our images of God. Some of us are coming from different sorts of church backgrounds where uh, it might be helpful to lose some of those images. And we're finding some other images and maybe both the losing and the finding are a gift. And sometimes the losing is sad. Sometimes the losing is happy. And sometimes the finding is sad. You're like, oh, this is, un or it's not just sad, it's discomforting, unnerving. Uh, and then maybe sometimes the finding is really, uh, there's a lot of freedom too. And we're going to go on this journey with Jesus today, uh, looking at a passage that that he lays out for us about losing and finding our images of God. And who knows what we're going to experience, but it's okay because uh, Jesus is going to guide us along the way. Uh, so this is a story that Jesus tells. It was Jesus's idea. Jesus is the troublemaker here, okay? Um, our friend, uh, Anna Martinez, do you want to unmute yourself, Anna, and uh, read our scripture passage for us today from Luke chapter 15? Oh, yes. you can hear the birds chirping in your backyard. 
Yeah, sorry for too loud. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I love it. That's exactly so. As Jesus is teaching, there were birds chirping. This is so good. I love it. That is so cool. Perfect. So, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Hey, thanks, Anna. So Jesus tells a story, right? Uh, and uh, it's a story about God looking for what is lost. But there's something really super obvious about this story that I'm not sure I'd really noticed much before. Did you see it? God is a woman. God is a woman looking for the lost coin. That's how Jesus is picturing what God is like. Let, let's just let that sink in. There are a lot of other things about the scripture to, to think about, which is fine. But today, just let it sink in. God is like a woman. Jesus intentionally uses this uh, image, and, and yet for so many of us, it can be very unnerving. I have this image in my head, maybe you've had this experience, of a church leader, male, of course, um, red-faced, voice elevated, telling me in no uncertain terms, you cannot call God she because he has no gender. There's a certain irony, right? <laughs> so great. Oh, man. So let's think a little bit. It's not that it's wrong for God to be pictured as father, right? I mean, Jesus is the one who really introduces this idea of calling God our father. And he got into all kinds of trouble for it, right? He was breaking the mold. This was not what you were supposed to call God. It was not accepted. It was not the cultural norm. It disoriented people. It threatened their theology, their view of God. In fact, in John chapter 5, look at this scripture. John chapter 5. For this reason, the religious people tried all the more to kill Jesus, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Calling God dad, which Jesus also does, father, it was, it was so threatening to those people like me, religious leaders, they wanted to kill him. But we miss the point 
if we think that Jesus is simply replacing one religious tradition with another. Right? It's not like Jesus is saying, okay, out with all the old. You know, you can't call God the Most High or the Almighty or the Holy One. No, none more of that. Now we only call God Father. It's not some new law. What Jesus is doing here, he's initiating not just a new way to think of God. He is doing that. Jesus is initiating a, a way of connecting with God that's relational, that's intimate, that's nurturing and kind. Yes, Jesus is doing that. But more so than that, Jesus is initiating a whole new way of thinking about thinking about God. So it's not just God could be intimate, could be like a dad. But it's, hey, we can rethink about the images we use so that we could grow healthier in our relationship with God. I love that. I mean, I just love being able to see and recognize and remember um, that God was, Jesus was not actually trying to create a new box for us. He was just constantly this, this, this person who was expanding our boxes, saying, stop trying to put God in a box. And yet we see that so often this is what we do. We're like, oh, great, great, great. Let's make it our new box, right? Like, cause it's just who we are. We're limited and it's hard, you know, to, to stay out there in this, in, in these spaces where things are, are just not neat and tidy, right? Where there aren't just these sets of rules where we can follow and sort of like, great, let's make it the new box. We always call God father. Ah, perfect. We simplified it in a new way. And, and the reality was right when it first happened, uh, when that, that phrase, it, it was life-giving. It was new. It was fresh. It was a paradigm shift. It helped people see the world and see their relationship with God in, in a fresh new way. The problem is that for many of us, we haven't received it as new. Instead, it's been what we've heard over and over and over again. All of the images of God that we've received have been inside this box all male images, all male pronouns. And so we have been taught to relate to God as father, as king, as husband, as judge. None of these are necessarily bad images. There are, there's goodness to them. There are good aspects of God that the scripture is trying to communicate to us, and yet they become limited when they're the only ones that we see, the only options that we have to relate to. And so I wonder if it wouldn't be helpful for us to expand the list a little bit this morning to remember that, yeah, in this passage, God, God is imaged by Jesus as a woman doing a very domestic task, looking around for coins, searching them out, cleaning, 
searching high and low. God is pictured in the Bible as a mother cradling an infant, nursing an infant. God is pictured as a mother bear defending her cubs. God is pictured as a mother eagle hovering over her children, over you, carrying you even when you need it. God is pictured as one who labors and gives birth. Jesus, of course, we, we receive and relate to him as he's in a male body. And yet, can I tell you one that's just really interesting and it's there in the scripture? Um, Jesus is called Logos, the divine wisdom. And in the Greek, that's a male image. But in the Old Testament, wisdom is Sophia, a feminine image. There are ways that we see God related in the scripture that are actually outside of our gender categories. God pictured as water, as wind, as light, as fire. All of these different ways that we can image and respond to God in our life. And, and I have to wonder if we don't need that sometimes because there are two potential problems that can happen when we put God in a box. One is if we insist on making God look just one way that we're limiting God, right? We're really making God smaller than God is. But then kind of the flip side of the problem is if we insist that God only looks one way and we don't look like that, or the person that we're relating to doesn't look like that, do we see them as less? Do we experience ourselves as less? I mean, so often I've talked with you guys, especially maybe you've just been to the church for once or twice. And, and there are women who will come up to me and maybe I'm the first female pastor that they've ever met, that they've, they've listened to. And often there are tears and there's a sense of healing just because somehow seeing someone who looks like them up front makes them think, oh, maybe, Maybe God can look like this too. Maybe, maybe I am truly created in God's image. It's one of the reasons we are constantly trying to, to have people teaching, preaching, sharing stories who embody the beautiful diversity of God. We can't image God in anywhere near God's fullness if we don't invite diversity. Thanks, Brenna. You know, I think even, uh, you know, that the Trinity, this whole idea that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, it's this plural image of God, where you'd use the word they in normal language to refer to God. That's just, it's biblical. What do we do with that? I see you smiling, Tiger. Uh, but I, I mean, again, this, we just, I mean, maybe there's some rethinking here. Maybe it's bigger than what we always thought. So we have the uh, a special guest to share a little bit about her story. So Stephanie Brown, if you would uh, unmute, um, are you there? Hello. 
Uh, hey, Stephanie is one of our deacons, so she's on our board here at City Church. Um, and Stephanie, she shared recently um, about this journey, and Brenna and I were like, wow, that's so profound. We'd love to, to have the whole church hear just a little bit of her journey about reimaging God. Um, so thanks for being here, being willing to, uh, to dive in with us, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about sort of the, we'll start with sort of the challenge growing up with uh, pretty strict regimented ideas of what God was looking like. I don't know if you can share in a way that's appropriate about how that felt maybe limiting or if that was painful or just kind of orient us a little bit to that. And then we'll talk a little bit about your process in a second. Yeah, so I grew up um, in a very religious household, um, went to a very rigid evangelical church. Um, and so my concept of God was uh, very judgmental, um, very condemning even. Um, and, you know, my, my whole life I have felt not enough or um, just in, intense shame um, and just that, that I quite would never be enough to, to earn God's love. Um, and was that like sort of God as judge, as warrior, as um, yeah. sovereign king kind of stuff, yeah. largely? So I actually experienced each aspect of the Trinity in, in a very toxic and traumatic way. Um, so like God, the father was very judgmental and vengeful and wrathful. Okay. Um, Jesus, it wasn't that I experienced Jesus in a traumatic way, but how I experienced the idea of hell was, was very traumatic. And so like I had from, from the, the, I mean, I said the sinner's prayer for the first time when I was three, but yet I never felt like I said it the right way, or I did something that then counteracted it and so it was just this fear and then the idea of the holy spirit was well they're supposed to be a comforter but i don't feel comforted or why would they allow something to happen in my life and so it was more of the brand of christianity that i was raised in and then other people that i experienced in my life or situations that then just kind of reinforced um, those images of god and each aspect of the trinity um, just, uh, thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, just, just to clarify for folks. So when you talk about the sinner prayer that like, oh, I'm a sinner, Jesus, forgive me, come into my life. You know, uh, what evangelicals would call like the salvation moment and to be accepted by God that you felt like you didn't get it right. Like how many years would you continue to pray that prayer to try to get it right? It was honestly well into my adult years. <laughs> it's like in your twenties. 20s, 30s. I mean, I mean it just, okay. and even though I had done some deconstruction work mentally and I could apply it to friends or other people's situations, I had never done the deconstructed deconstruction work internally. And so I still had those beliefs and visions of God and those feelings still deep in my body. Um, and it wasn't until very, very recently that I actually dealt with those. Tell us about it. Tell, tell us a little bit about your process and what, what's that look like? And if there are a couple of specifics that are appropriate to share, tell, tell us about those. Yeah. So it, it was actually done in therapy. 
Um, and my therapist is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she is trauma informed. Um, and so some of our therapy sessions are talk and, she, you know, we'll kind of talk through things and others it is, um, she uses different, um, trauma techniques where we actually release and, and deconstruct and, and dismantle images. And so each week we took one of the aspects of the Trinity. Um, and I actually, um, kind of picked apart an image. And, and we, we, we fully released that image. And then we went back to how did that image make me feel? So if I felt shame or fear, we actually released that feeling throughout all the aspects of my body. So for, you know, God, the father, it was that vengeful, wrathful, you know, image. So getting rid of that image and then the feeling that it was associated with was fear and shame. And so when we got to the point where I was releasing that feeling from my body, when we got to the very end where we worked on like my heart and my soul, um, you know, it was, it was replaced with a different image. Um, or when we, we worked on my fear of hell, it was replaced with a different image. Um, and then just, she encouraged me at the beginning of it was just ask God to show you the different ways that they love you. And like every day there was something new, whether it was just an experience with a friend or a song, or even like the very next sermon <laughs> that Sunday, just tied beautifully into like that, that aspect of the Trinity. And so when it comes to the, 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 the fear of like hell, the image that was replaced at the very end was, I actually pictured Jesus scooping me up as a three-year-old when that, when that fear and shame first entered. And they wiped my tears and they said, I already did all of the work there's nothing you need to do. And it was just reinforced day after day after day. Wow. And so what, what, what did that feel like to kind of be able to let go of one image and, and feel this experience of, of love? It was freedom. It was freedom. It, it took like this incredible burden off of me trying to be perfect and try to prove that I needed love or that I deserved love. Um, yeah, and, and I think it was really cool too, just how like the, the week that I worked on God the Father, God the Mother later met me. Um, and so it completely reshaped. Can, can, can you tell us about that? I mean. I... Yeah, so um, so I have my therapy on, on a Thursday and that following Sunday was Mother's Day. And Mother's Day is, it's a tough one for me. It's just for a lot of different reasons, it's a tough one. And I was just feeling incredibly sad. And one of my best friends um, texted me um, and she, I had moved in with her in 2013 when I first moved back to California. And I was living with her and her very, very young son. Like he turned two a couple months after we, um, we ended up moving in together. Um, but anyway, they're in, they're in Tennessee now and, and her and her family were together with I think some friends and the kids were going around and sharing their favorite mother memory. And he shared his favorite memory, which was when we lived together and the three of us would go to the beach and each one of us would be on one side of him holding his hand and we would run down to the, to like the ocean. And right before the A's, like the waves would come and crash on him, we would like scoop him up and we'd run back and we would do that over and over. And that was his favorite memory of a mother. And it was so Jesus. It was, it was Jesus. It was God. Jesus scooping, scooping him up. And, and who was the mom in the, in that, in that memory, Stephanie? It was his mom and me. 
And the fact that that is still his image, his favorite mom memory. And he was so young. I mean, that just, I mean, it made me cry. It still makes me want to cry because it makes me so happy. But the fact that my friend, his physical mother shared that with me and just loved, she loves the way that he loves me and she loves the way that I love him. I just, I felt God. Yeah, this is, this is God, the mother's love for you, showing you this picture of this is what love is. Oh my God. That is so beautiful. And what, what deep work you've been doing and you're doing in our midst, we're so honored to, to have you uh, share some of your story. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Wow. Um, okay, so we're gonna transition here. Um, we're going to try something. I'm not sure this is going to work, but we're going to try it. Um, we're going to have a little moment, don't start yet, but in the chat where you're going to be invited, hey, what's an image of God that's been healing for you? Now, before we do that, I, I really actually want to give us just a, a slight warning. Some people's images of God may not be comforting for us. And let's just hold those gently and say, oh, that's comforting for you. That, that's a gift. And then for us, we can sort of let that pass by. But there may be some other images that uh, even as we read them, they're like, oh my gosh, could that be who God is for me? Right? So we're going to take about 30 seconds just to in quiet here. And uh, I think, is there a question you were going to put in the chat there, Kevin? Yeah, here you go. What images of God have been healing for you? So let's just take a few minutes and share those in the text, in the, in the chat. If you, if you have access to chat, um, we'd love to see those. Beloved community, Martin's Martin's vision for us, right? Oh gosh. God and a homeless neighbor. God and children. God is my brown loving grandpa. As that lion. Mm -hmm. yeah, thanks. Thanks, Holly. Jesus as brother. God is the parent who loves the way we love our kids. God, God is the parent. I love this. Ellie, the God who brings their children to Disneyland for the first time. Oh gosh, is that what God's like? Oh. The God who speaks to the bleeding woman, his daughter. Stranger. God is safe space as laughter, tears, and excitement. 
the dad who loves you unconditionally. Oh, so beautiful. Yes. God is open door, setting the banquet table. Yeah, Christ, Christ the Black Mother, Christina Cleveland's done so much good work on that. Oh, it's mm -hmm. so beautiful. Thanks, Laura. The mother hen and Voltron. I love that. That's creative. That's a little deep different for me, but peoples. That's all right. No judgment space, Bill. No judgment. Sorry. No judgment. I can't, I can't even judge my friend Robert. I'd love to no. judge that guy. All right. I'm going to turn it over to you, Brenna Rubio. If you have other <laughs> things you want to jump in, you can. Uh, These are beautiful. Please keep going. Wow. Please keep going. Because this is the question. And this really is, you know, as much as we started with this, hey, let's notice. Let's notice what is so often missed. And so in some ways, a sort of non-traditional reading of this passage, let's notice that God is not unafraid to be known as a woman. There's also, we bring that with us to the traditional interpretation where the heart and the focus and the deep meaning of this passage is that God loves you. God loves you obsessively. God loves you in a way that just will not give up. That yeah, I've got my nine coins, but that one is missing and I must find it. God sees you as precious, gold. God searches for you. And so often we don't feel that. So often the voices of, of shame and doubt and, and just hurt, trauma, they get in the way. And we have to do this deeper work, just like Stephanie shared her story today, this deeper work of remembering that no, God loves you. I love the question that she asked. Would you ask God to show you all the different ways they love you? This list right here, all these different ways God loves you and is showing you over and over and over again. You're precious. You're mine. I'll never stop searching for you. I want you with me. And that's what we get to celebrate together this morning. This God who loves you and all the different ways they tell you. Our friend Megan is going to lead us 